Hello and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host, and I hope everyone's keeping safe and healthy in this horrid time that we're in. But we're here to give you a bit of escape with the wonderful Sarah Douglas, our next guest for the show. So please relax, sit back and enjoy the episode. And as always, please Share, like, and subscribe, and share the love, of course. And as always, our podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store of London. Give their website a visit, propstore.com, right after this episode, and check out the wonderful things they've got on their website. Also, I'd just like to let everyone know of an exciting event that's happening on the 30th of May. So, if you're at home and you normally attend conventions and you can't, well, this is a great solution. We have got a a virtual Comic Con with the stars of Superman. So, if you're a Superman fan, it's perfect. So, on the 30th of May, uh, you can visit a website, which is www.inhouse-con.com. Visit that site. They've got four great guests. They've got Jack O'Halloran, they've got Jeff East, Aaron Smolinski, and the lovely, lovely Sarah Douglas. So uh, why don't you sit back, relax, and listen to the episode. We talk about it a bit in this episode, as well as many other things. So here we go with our interview with Sarah Douglas. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a in Action Pack Podcast, where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to Are We Alone in the Universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It is a massive honour because uh, Superman the movies, Superman 2, you know, all of them has played a massive part in my life, in my upbringing. Um, and it, and it's great to have a chance to speak to yourself about your experience on Superman and other projects. Um, so, well, thank you. So mm. before we get into, you know, the life of Sarah Doug- Douglas, um, you know, what got you into acting? Well, um, I can honestly say that it was what I was always going to do. I had a moment at about 11 or 12 where I might have been a vet, right. but, um, but it was a brief moment, or maybe it was a nurse. There really, I don't even remember it happening, but I knew that, um, uh, I, I, I knew that I wanted to be an actress, and I, uh, at 13, um, when I auditioned, I the, in those days, the National Youth Theatre, um, I mean, it's still a, a very wonderful organization, but back in the day, it was a really, really big deal. Um, the Daily Mail, when they were slightly better newspaper were were the sponsors of it and um we had terrific uh, every everybody sort of looked out to see what the national youth theater were doing and uh, the year above me was sort of helen mirren was there and i was in my year with alfred molina and different people anyway the point of it is they they were auditioning uh for that following season and i i remember very clearly my mother saying well if you get in 
darling, if you get in, we'll we'll back you all the way. And it, it was, I think, I want to say that they they auditioned over three hundred. I can't remember what the numbers were now. There were a lot of there were a lot of kids, a lot of girls, and I think they took sort of twelve. You know, it's one of those ridiculous sort of numbers. And and I got in. I I don't think my mom actually did expect me to get in. <laughs> but having, but having, you know, but having given her word, uh, uh, and so she was always, always supportive. Uh, my school, um, I went to Ulster Grammar School, which was a school just a few miles from here, Stratford on Avon, and the headmaster, um, who was quite a tough old boy and quite a stickler for um, for rules and regulations, and uh, goodness knows how he came to give me time off, but he gave me those extra weeks off that I needed so that I could go up to London in the summertime um, and be up in London for, what was it, six to eight weeks? I mean, it was longer than the school holidays. And um, off I went. And when I look back now with horror that I was 13 and 14, I was in London on my own. And we were we were expected to take care of ourselves, and we wow. did. We were all in, um, we were all shared, you know, flats, masses of us, 10 of us, you know, in a, in a flat. Um, I started off in a bed sitter with, a, with, with family friends, but, but I very soon went into a place. And I mean, when you think of it, I mean, I was barely 14, I think. That, yeah. um, and off I went, and I went to rehearsal every day, and we put on these things at the, it was a short theatre. And they, they, they got terrific acclaim, and they were very, you know, my first press cutting is, is, a, is a picture of me and sitting, playing a, a, a hippie in a thing called Fuzz, I think it was. Um, and I was in a show called Zigasago, and everything was, everything got great publicity, and so, you know, it was a big deal. And so um, I went back, came back to school, um, in the, and came back to sort of long school socks and long skirt and behaving myself, which was really quite a shock to my system. Um, and I couldn't wait till the next season came around, and indeed it did come around. But of course, uh, once I had done my second season with the National Youth Theatre and toured, uh, we did the Europe, we opened the Berlin, uh, some festival in Berlin, which was back in those days, was quite the most degenerate, I mean, it was a degenerate city. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, I was a young thing. Um, and we were there and we were in Amsterdam and we were all over the place. And I saw just about everything that a girl shouldn't see when she's quite young. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, I really, it was really a hell of an experience. But I mean, we were, we were, we were a bunch of girls. We looked after ourselves. Uh, the director, Michael Croft, um, wasn't, well, didn't seem to have so much time for the girls. He was more interested in looking after the young men. So we were, off on our own, getting up to all sorts of nonsense. Um, do, you know, do, you know, do you know what? It's, great, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that you were 13, 14, and you were so responsible enough to, to go off to London, and nowadays 13 to 14-year-olds, they, no, would, they wouldn't even be able to do anything. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I have to tell you that um, certainly in Berlin... I, I witnessed. I remember we we opened the festival, and I remember going to the to the ladies' room to the loo, and and there being a man in the in the in the stall who was uh, who, who was injecting himself with I didn't know what, but I mean wow. I was it was you know I I, I mean I, we saw 
everything. In Amsterdam, innocent young me going into this, through this sort of gate into this, this street that I'd seen advertised, which turned out to be the Reaper bomb, and seeing these ladies sitting in the window, clad in very little, and, and standing there looking and saying, goodness me, it's not like Oxford Street, and having a, <laughs> we had a bucket of stuff thrown over us, uh, the other actresses and I, uh, you know, as, and I always remember, because I got a rather cheap leather jacket on, which turned nasty green after that. Um, you know, I mean, we, it was really quite an experience going across through East Germany, you know, with, um, in, in, in a train, all of us packed in together. But those were the days, and it <laughs> taught me, it, it taught me a, a great deal in it. But certainly, as I mentioned, it, it gave me this sort of, I, I am forever punctual, and if I'm knocked over by a bus, I'll phone you and say, I'm sorry, I'm being knocked over by a bus, you know. It's, but that's, that's what the National Theatre, and also some, some, some great, great memories and the great times there. Aww. I mean, when you were growing up, who was your biggest influence, um, you know, in show business uh, that you looked up to? Well, I was brought up, don't forget, in Stratford-upon-Avon. So course, I was brought yes. up very much in the, in the shadow of the theatre. So everybody I looked at, I mean, we're talking about classical, uh, classical actors. So um, I didn't know much about movie stars at all. I didn't know anything really about that. I just knew about theatre, so I knew about, you know, Laurence Olivier and uh, uh, David Warner, um, people back then. I mean, I, I was taken, my mother was a physiotherapist at the Royal Shakespeare Theatre. Oh, wow. And so, and I, and I didn't have a dad. So many, you know, many an evening I would be sort of perhaps sitting down there in the stage door or the phone would ring and uh, I remember Peter Hall calling and it was the opening of something. And, and I think it was Hamlet and David Warner had fallen and he, he had to go... They, they had to, mum had to get, to, they had to bring, they brought him over and he came over in his doublet and hose to the house. You know, I mean, I was always in awe of all these actors that, that, that I saw. Um, and of course, you know, for, again, uh, Damie this Evans and all these great old Margaret Rutherford, these wonderful sort of old character actresses. Um, like any kid growing up in the 50s and 60s, um, the early influences were the, were the wonderful, famous old sort of, stars of, of, of really stage and screen but so you know my first television job was with Edith Evans and um, I hesitated I think so to be sure I was t- telling the truth sometimes <laughs> I confuse my I tell, I tell so many stories I wonder if I'm telling the truth but I am telling the truth um, Edith Evans um, and, and that was my very first telly and I, you know for me as a young girl it was just you know it's just it was so exciting you know I was actually um well, it's like David Warner. I mean, David Warner, the first yeah. time I worked with him in in America, um, we did a film together. We did a film together. We did a, I guess it's a film. I can't think it went straight to video, but we did something called, I think it was called The Lost Storehouse. But there he was with Olivia Hussey and David Warner. And I can remember, I mean, I just said to him, oh my goodness me, because I had been a sort of 16, 17 year old, absolutely idolizing him. And he was in his early 20s, I think, and, and was at Stratford and everybody, I mean, in those days, just worshipped these sort of, these stage actors. A lot more so then, I think, than now, because stage was stage and film was film, wasn't it? You, yeah. you didn't really cross over back then. Um, and then everybody started to, to do whatever they, whatever the hell they could get <laughs> to grab. Do you think, but, um, do you think that's, that's why, you know, 
in America, the invasion of the British, you know, for show business. Do you think it's because, you know, the British, um, you know, start out in the theatre, um, you know, being classically trained, um, yeah. you know, c- compared to, I mean, um, American actors are fantastic, but you tend to see a lot of English uh, actors mm. going over now and um, slowly taking over. Yeah, they they definitely um, they're definitely taking over now. Um, I yeah, I think that I, I mean you have to remember that uh, uh, not so many years ago you could not act in England unless you were in the union, equity, yeah. the actors' union, and to get into the union you had to have done so many weeks' work in the theatre. Now, I never understood how these things work, but that's, you know, you had to be in the theatre to yeah. get a card to be in the... You know, so so you, you, it, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Nearly all of us... Well, we all did. We all went to drama school. We all trained. We did everything right. Um, and then you went off. And I was one of the very few people back back in... When was it? 52, 62, 68, 70, 70s, you know, that went straight from drama school. The first job I did was a film, was the final program, um, which was a sci-fi thing. Um, I I didn't do any theatre at all. I didn't go off and go into rep, which all of my, you know, uh, peers did. They they went off and and I'm sorry I missed that. I'm very sorry I missed it because I've I've not done much theatre at all. But the normal way, you had to earn your... Um, earn your years and uh, your weeks in the theatre to to get an equity card, and then you then you had to do so many weeks to go into the West End. I mean, I my first stage play was in the West End, and I, and I had done it was the first stage I did, and I was in the West End, and they had to hold auditions to prove that there was nobody else that was as good as me, which was absolutely <laughs> rubbish because it was a crap. Mind you, the play closed after a week, so I don't. <laughs> I think it was a write off, but I was there for a moment there. I was at the. I was in Shaftesbury Avenue, but you know, it's. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, nowadays, um, you, nowadays, really anybody, as we know, anybody can be um, an actress, um, as 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 has been proven. Um, so I think the the staying power still um, is, is if you've got that training, whether it's the theatre or whether it's drama school or something. I mean, I think a good a good solid. Uh, background. I mean, I had National Youth Theatre, as I said, which was the best thing, and then then I had drama school, um, and 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 I also had just the, the theatre here, constant, everything, all the time, um, and so it was a natural progression for me to go off. And and I must admit, when I went to um, at nineteen twenty, when I got my first job, um, I I assumed that. It was always going to be like that because I got my first job, which was a film, which was the fi- well, my first, my very first job was a Bacardi commercial, uh, which was uh, in Jamaica, and I was I I had the only time, well, I've I've really never done another job other than that, but back then I I I had just got a job in the in Selfridges in the Christmas uh, it was Christmas time, and my job I was in the. Uh, uh, Christmas department with Father Christmas and the monkeys and um, <laughs> my job was to distract the parents when the monkeys peed on the children which they did with quite often what, so what, Father they had Christmas re- children real monkeys 
Yeah, real monkeys. Yeah. Wow. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd bring the monkeys out. The monkeys would get nervous and, and have a little little wee, and the children would scream. And I, my job was basically to distract parents and to sort of calm everything down. Uh, it was a wonderful job. But I only had it for a week because then I got this commercial. And I can, I can, I can remember the guy now saying, I said, you know, me coming in all sort of hale and hearty and saying, I want to see, sorry, I can't, I'm going to go to Jamaica next week. I'm doing a Bacardi commercial. And I can see him thinking, yeah, really. I mean, I just was so naive, and 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 I smelt of. I remember going to the audition because I arrived. I had to take a taxi. Didn't have enough money for the taxi. That was the start of it. I smelt of monkey for a start. Um, how I got the job, I don't know, but uh, but I did. And in fact, the producer is still a very dear friend of mine, and we speak sort of quite regularly. Do we remember? And that was that was my first job, and it was two weeks in Jamaica. Uh, a week sitting in the sun to get uh, a good suntan, and then a, a few days of drinking Bacardi and Coke and Bacardi and rum, Bacardi and orange and Bacardi and something else. And, of course, I didn't need to drink Bacardi. They got me absolutely plastered. But I was just this young innocent. Nobody knew. And they said, oh, no, no, you have to. It has to be authentic. So that was my first job. Um, because it was the first Bacardi commercial. And then I got my first, my first film, which was my very first job, which was this... Uh, the final program, and then uh, immediately um, that I completed that, and that was with a wonderful actor called John Finch. Uh, that just after the day after I finished that, I started my first telly, which was with Dame Edith Evans and Dan Melia. You know, and I just thought, oh, this is the way it's going to be. And indeed, that's the way it was during my 20s. It just was one job after another after another. Um, no, a little, well, like a touch of theatre, as I said, which didn't last. Um, culminating in Superman when I was about 20, 27. Um, but, you know, I just, it never occurred to me that it wouldn't ever be like that. Not, it didn't occur to me until I was about 40, and I went, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh oh, <laughs> this, this is this is pretty serious. Things are starting to slow down, and you know you go and people say, "Well, what else can you do?" And I said, "Nothing. I've never done anything. I've not even been. I've never been a waitress. I've never worked in a shop. I've never wow. done anything but act." You know, I was very very lucky in my twenties and completely spoiled. So and then, amazing. I survived actually. Go on. And then you landed uh, such a, a wonderful role in Superman. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. did how how did that come about? How did you get the part of Ursa? Well, I um, I was already filming. Um, I was away in the Canary Islands shooting a picture called "The People That Time Forgot," which is still my favourite film, um, which was uh, with sort of cardboard cutout dinosaurs and everything, and just uh, just. Wonderful time, a wonderful time, and 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 off we were on the, in the Canary Islands with an act, lovely actor called Doug McClure and Patrick Wayne and Dana Gillespie, and we were having adventures on on a volcanic island. And I'd vaguely heard, uh, vaguely heard about this film that was going to be shot in England, but right then, um, the people at time forgot was actually the only film that was being shot. I, don't, I can't remember why, whether there'd been a strike or whether... The, but there were no films. There was nothing going on in England. Um, I'll have to look it up one of these days to get... But, but there was nothing going on. So I was a bit full of my own self-importance. I was off doing that. And um, I, I, as I said, I, I vaguely heard rumour. But it wasn't until I got back um, to England and I was, I was filming at uh, Pinewood Studios. We were shooting that. Um, so we'd come off location, and I was at Pinewood Studios, and um, my agent said, there's this, this film. And 
I tried to explain to all my American friends and my English friends too, but, but Superman wasn't a big deal in England. You know, we really, you know, I mean, I knew who Superman was, I guess. I mean, of course I did. But, I, but you know, he wasn't this great sort of superhero. We weren't watching him endlessly on television. I'm not even sure. I don't even know if he was on TV. He might have been on my Saturday morning cinema. I don't know, but it was more cowboys and westerns when I went. Um, but it, it wasn't a big deal. So I really knew very little about him. Um, and it's quite a well-documented story because I, I was, they weren't, I wasn't able to go in the daytime uh, because I was filming every day. I could only go at the end of my long days filming from Pymouth Studios over to Shetland Studios. And so, um, something like, uh, I think it was seven or eight times that they arranged for me to, to for their car to be waiting to take me over to the studio to, you know, at the end of the day to go over to, to meet with the producers. And seven or eight times it was cancelled at the last minute. Something happened and I didn't go. And I was just, you know, I just, I was busy, happy doing my, um, doing this, this, the people that time forgot. Anyhow, um, on about the seventh rate time, I just said, oh, forget it. You know, I just wasn't, I just forget it. And the casting director was the most wonderful lady who I, I absolutely credit for getting my career going, Mary Selway, who's sadly no longer with us. But dear Mary, she phoned me up and she said, you know, this is absolutely the role for you. And I said, yeah, yeah. She said, no, it's, she said, it's, it's you written all over it. And I don't quite know what that meant when I think about the character. I don't know what to say. But anyway, so um, so she said, give it another try. So I, uh, I I said, okay. And I think it was the eighth or the ninth time I got over there uh, to the studio and it was maybe 7.30 at night or 8. And, you know, I'd been working since, been in the studio since about 6.30 that morning and it's a long day. And they held me up for about half an hour. I sat and I sat and I sat and I just, you know, I just thought, so when I finally go into the office to meet Dick Donner, the director, um, I'm greeted by this gentleman with, I remember telling my mother his hair was just slightly too long um, and he'd got blue tinted, blue tinted glasses on and he'd got a tan because of course he's a Californian and like, and I kind of let him have it. I remember saying, you know, I don't know who you think you are, but I'm very busy and you've kept me waiting, blah, blah, blah. And it seemed that I sort of mouthed off in my very English way to him. Um, and he was quite amazed and bemused and bewildered by my um, approach to my meeting. Um, but it seemed that that was, uh, I, I showed no fear and I also showed total contempt, um, and, <laughs> which I find a bit embarrassing. Um, and so that was the beginning of, of, of I don't remember how many, two or three auditions, um, I, not auditions, two or three meetings with more people and more people. And then finally, I, I didn't um, I didn't do a screen test. Everybody else was screen testing, but, but I, didn't, I didn't do one. Yeah. Um, I think probably because they were too cheap to, to keep on the crew in the evening and I just wasn't <laughs> available. You know, I, I just wasn't available. So what they did do was arrange a, a flying test for me to see, uh, because, and by then I think I'd got sort of down to the last whatever the number was. Um, and the, 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 a lot of people, a lot, a lot of actresses, it, it seemed, had, had sort of arrived and turned up. And when, when faced with a, a 40 foot drop and a, 
little bit of wire and a bit of a harness and uh, stand on this windowsill and jump off and fly um, weren't, weren't comfortable doing it. <laughs> I absolutely adored it. Um, I just thought it was just the best thing ever, you know. Um, so that was that was that was part of my that was part of my test. And um, I, so when I, when it, I also was my had the advantage that the boys that I were working with the, the stuntmen who I had just spent a few weeks in the Canary Islands um, having a lot of fun turned out to be the stuntmen. Um, who were then on Superman. Aww. So um, they, these lads had given me all the little tips, and I remember them saying to me, um, Vic Armstrong saying, now you're going to be, they're going to ask you to, you know, you're going to have to come in and have to fly, and you've got to practice the kipper position. And he said, so take your kitchen stool and practice lying over that every night and holding it back up, because all of the support, um, the percentage of the support was 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 my body not not a harness you know it wasn't yeah. people sort of have the concept that it's like peter when peter pan flies on the stage you know with a great big whopping great harness we just had little tiny little sort of girdle things on and so the the hooks were on our hips uh, that hooked to the wires and so when you're holding your body up and holding your back up and arching and everything it's it's all you absolute killer when I think about it but of course you know you're young and you're keen and what the hell so I got there um, I went over I was all dressed prepared for it I had got my uh, my leotard on and my black plimsolls my, which people don't even know what plimsolls are, my, really? my black sort of, <laughs> yeah, sneakers, you know, my little pumps. Yeah. I know I was dressed for action and, and I'd got my hair sort of scraped back and I was sort of terribly keen and went, went all dressed ready for this flying test. Um, and I got up on the wires and they said, you've got to jump off and do this and do that. And as I flew, as I flew across over the producers and the directors and one or two members of the crew, um, one of the guys shouted up to me, one of the crew, says, here, darling, you've got no chance. The last bird flew without any knickers on. And it appears... <laughs> oh, dear. It appears the actress before, um, who I never found out who she was, but I know she arrived in a fur coat, um, but when she actually flew, she she was wearing very little um, to attract the attention of the producers and directors. And then I come along, all muggins like Joyce Grenfell with my black leotard and my hair straight back. <laughs> um, but there you go. So... But it's the innocence, isn't it? You just don't, you know, as, as the years pass, you realize that, I mean, back then, you just you just go for it, you know, you yeah. just do, you, you go for it. And, and it was all a bit of an adventure. And I was, again, I, I was 27, 26, 27, and I'd been, you know, I'd had five or six years of a lot of work and, and, a, and, a, and a sort of, it was a nice sort of gradual little climb for me um, work-wise. But uh, I I didn't, I don't remember really, really, really wanting the part, but what I do remember is being incredibly excited at the idea that one might be working with Marlon Brando because, it goes again, you know, he was an absolute idol of mine, um, as was Gene Hackman because yeah. I'd sort of, you know, I, I was certainly come out of the French Connection sort of era and, and watching him. And, um, you know, that to me was just the idea of working with names like that was phenomenal. And, um... and so, you know... and. Yeah, and am I right? Right in saying your first day on set was actually the scene with Marlon Brando, Terence Stamp, and Jack. Um, <laughs> you're going to say no now. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say no. Um, I'm not going to say no because um, 
I think you're right. Um, I, I I can't swear that you're right. I know that it was very much. I I, I, can't, I can't swear. That it's a very interesting question, actually, because I can't quite remember. And don't forget, we know, as, as I said, we were you know we were doing Superman one and two all all, yeah. all all up together. Um, what what I do remember more to the point is I remember because of course there were lots of days at the studio before we actually before we actually did anything so I remember I remember being on the set and and whatever the scene was and it might have been and was well it couldn't have been because Christopher was there so it wasn't with Brando then because it would have been Superman it was one it was would was have it, been was it, it was, was it the flying scene in the fortress um yeah, it could have been. All I know is, is that I, what, what, what I do know is that I remember very clearly that Christopher lifted up his arms to fly and he'd, he'd perspired and there were sweat marks. <laughs> and so Superman doesn't sweat. So we had to stop and they had to figure out what to do about that. And that took a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was stuff, stuff like that. So that's, that's my overriding memory. It's perspiration marks. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to ruin it for you. <laughs> oh, the magic's all gone. But Marlon Brando, yeah. what a legend. I mean, I mean, oh, you know, yeah. there are rumours that uh, that he read his lines from cue cards and I was speaking to Jack and he was quite amazed at seeing that as well. But apparently it was part of Marlon Brando's you know, technique. I mean, did you find yeah. that odd uh, seeing that? Well, we, uh, well, no. Um, I mean, yes and no. We we certainly knew that that was something that he did. Um, I I have I have said many times that I had the words stuck to my forehead. I think this is me embellishing. Um, I don't think I had the words stuck to my forehead, but I do recall having the words in front of my face at some point. Right. Um, for him to read off, um, I, 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 and it sounds and it sounds so much better to say they were stuck to my forehead. I can't, I don't know how it was stuck, but but I do remember that. I I also very clearly remember that he travelled with a young lady who who her job was to do his idiot cards to to write the words on these vast boards that wow. he would then read in the distance, um, and and she would you know she would write everything out, and he he did say to me. Uh, I asked him about that. I asked him about, um, I mean, I was absolutely terrified. I could barely speak. I was so <laughs> totally intimidated. I mean, he couldn't have been more delightful and more charming. But I asked him about that, the intensity of his look, you know, and, the, and, 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 and where it came from and all of this sort of stuff that young, young actresses sort of say. And he said, oh, no, so I, I'm not being intense. He said, I can't, I said, I can't read my idiot cards without my idiot boards, without my eyeglasses, without my spectacles. So he says, I have to screw up my eyes to, to read. So all of that sort of wonderful look in his eyes and everything, and of course now it's been completely ruined because I realize. Uh, and he said, if you look, he said, in Missouri Breaks uh, with Jack Nicholson, he said, you can see the words written on the fence behind me. And uh, uh, he told me all sorts of little stories like that. Um, but he was, oh, God, he was just so fabulous. Yeah. And, and it didn't matter because the intensity. Uh, I mean, he was a great one for... Uh, laughing and joking and everything else and 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 then you know action and then he was there and he was in character and and he was reading um i mean in his last films at the very end he'd got an earpiece in he was having the lines fed to him wow. uh, how he managed to pull off those performances 
with you know reading, I don't know, but he had perfected it. He'd absolutely perfected it, and he was an absolute joy and a delight. I mean, he really was quite fabulous. But then, but then, um, other great, great actors like Gene Hackman and 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 Terence Stamp. Uh, you know, talking about the action of the movie, uh, I was chatting to Colin Chilvers not long ago. Oh who, yes, uh, good old Colin, uh, and yeah. such a lovely man to chat to, chat to. And he was running me through how they did the bus scene. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know where Superman shouts, "Not the people!" and yeah. you and Jack lift it up and throw it. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. you got injured. Is that is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely, I got injured. And, and how to did this that day, happen? Thank you. Well, um, firstly, it was the middle of the night. I mean, it was possibly three a.m., four a.m. It was a night shoot. Um, so uh, the reason I tell you that it was. Freezing, yeah, absolutely freezing, um, and we, of course, um, they had built the back lot, um, which you know, that incredible set, which people will argue to the to the ends of the earth that that, that was in New York, and I said no, actually, it was the back <laughs> lot of Hymer. Thank you very much. I was there, but they, they, it was there was an underground lake or something. Maybe it was out at wherever we were. Maybe that was at Shefton, but there was there was an underground lake, so the ground was frozen. You know, it was really, really, really cold. And of course, Ursa was, is very lacking in um, in in costume, and because of the slits up the side of my uh, costume, and of course on my arms and everything, I couldn't really wear anything underneath. I mean, it was practically impossible. The only thing they could come up with was uh, was a, a a mink, a fur lined bra for me. So I had very warm. The area there yeah. <laughs> with my fur-lined bra, yeah, yeah. Um, and and the rest of me was frozen. But the reason I tell you that is we waited all night to do that sequence, and and I think I remember waking in the trailer, and then we went out, and it was just cold, and and you know you tense up because you're cold. So I don't think that helped. But I lifted the bus, and as I lifted it, the bus was on a chain and it was on a crane, you know, it was one of yeah. those sort of jobs. And so as we, as we, as we lifted it and, and supported it, there was a fraction, a fraction of movement, uh, in the chain. And I kept my arms straight. And oh, afterwards, no. I guess it was Donna, it must have been. Too nice, isn't it? It's so, such a long time ago. Um, I think it was Donna, but I'll be corrected, of course, if I'm wrong. But it was <laughs> the director, let's say, said to me, why didn't you relax your arms when it moved? And, and I remember so clearly saying to me, because for that split second, I had superpowers. And that was, the, you know, but, but it's true. You know, I don't yeah. know where that comes from because I'm a fidgety cow at the best of times. And I throw my arms around and I fidget and I fall over and I'm clumsy. But somehow I managed to contain that all whilst I was playing Ursa, in the seconds when I was actually on as Ursa. And, and so I held that bus and I ripped all my um, back, my shoulder muscles. It just oh, ripped just because I was just... Um, but I, I remember because we went on filming. And that was one of the things when you're a young actress and you're not on a... Uh, a Screen Actors Guild contract where you are protected from everything and anything happening. Uh, the, that's the American uh, uh, Union. But back in those days, you, equity was 
not the most supportive of anything. And so, you know, nobody said you've got to stop. So they wanted to get the shot. So you, you, this happened over and over again with lots and lots of different examples. But you just went on working and then you went on working until you just couldn't do it anymore, you know. So that was my shoulder, which to this day, I, my shoulder blade, the, the muscles underneath, you know, I have a, a, an issue with and a problem with. Um, but they get the shot, you know. Yeah. And that's really all it's all, all that all that matters. Um, oh, you. <laughs> it's you know for for instance, um, I got uh, I got a shot in my shot as in uh, shot inside a gun in my cheeks from the White House from the from the guns um, uh, being lined up, and, I, and 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 never again have I been able to handle having a gun aimed at me, which of course one shouldn't have anyway. But wow. they had they the gun the the guns were lying around a little bit and they picked up particles of dust and stuff. Right. And I remember I remember very clearly but you know I say I I say I remember Brian, but the thing of it is, you know, years pass, you begin to you begin to doubt yourself. But I remember so clearly somebody saying, well, what we want to see is we want to see Ursa standing there. Uh, this is the scene in the White House. We want to see the, the guys, the soldiers, bring up their guns and fire that gun. And we want to kind of see the splay coming out, but you don't flicker. And I, I, I know I heard that. And I remember, I know I remember thinking, God, if something's coming out of it, doesn't that mean there's something coming out into, you know, possibly into me? Um, and indeed, when the shot, the, sh- the, the particular sequence was uh, was was incredibly uh, complicated because it, it, it involved stuntmen and teeter boards, which are like uh, uh, what are they called? Seesaws, teeter boards for the stuntmen. So you know, one's on one end and the other one jumps on the thing. And you know, as as I'm picking up the stuntman, he's thrown over my shoulder because it's like, you know, it was all there was a whole sequence of events that had to go on. So the first time. Um, I, they, they raised the gun and, and, and they fired it. I felt this agonizing sort of pain in my cheek. Well, I, no, that's, that's ridiculous. It wasn't agonizing. It was a, it was a burning in my cheek. Yeah. You know, I couldn't work out what, it, and, and so I did, I reacted. I mean, of course I did. I reacted and sort of had to stop and hold my face. And so, so, um, they had to reset the scene and, um, I, uh, they reset it. And, uh, you know, a few minutes later, and, and then they said action. And, of course, as the gun came up, I, and I looked at it again. Of course, I just went into just panic mode and, and, and couldn't do anything. And, of course, everybody jumped and I wasn't there. And, you know, it was almost like everybody landed on top of each other. Um, and I, 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 this would happen over and over again. And it was like, oh, come on, Sarah, you know, come on. We haven't got all day. And it's like, well, of course, you know, by the end of the afternoon, I've got little black things in, in the side of my cheek um, and I can remember going home uh, and, and I was I don't think I was married then I was in, living with Richard who I later married um, but I remember him being absolutely horrified and furious and saying well we're going to do because he was American so he was, he'd had a completely different approach to working <laughs> so we're going to make you know you've got to do something about this and I can remember we made some sort of a complaint um, to equity or something just about you know, things not being too safe. Yeah, of and course. I remember equity, and I think it went through my agent, but them saying, oh, don't make a fuss, you know, it's just nothing, you're all right, you didn't lose your eye, hello, Well, you're you. very lucky, you know, you're very lucky. That, yeah, exactly. So, sort of, you know, stuff like that was um, was happening all the time, and you, you know, these injuries we talk about loosely, like that, the, the bus, um, 
you know, other things happening on the on the, on the pole arm. You you are working over and over again on top of the interest because nobody's saying, right now you know now you need a break. Um, so I did end up at the end, uh, the very end of the shooting. I ended up uh, in the last weeks of it having to have. <coughs> I think I had to have. It was. Uh, it was something like uh, uh, 20 minutes on the wires with an hour off in between. You know, there was actually a, there was actually some sort of time frame yeah. that I could do so long, and then I had to have to rest, and then I'd go back on, and, and all sorts of um, doctors involved and physios and treatments and stuff for my back because I'd got so many different um, things wrong with my back. Um, I had about, I think... So I had seven or nine separate injuries to my back, you know. So, but all of them sort of compounding it and making it much worse because, you know, a, a torn ligament under the arm and a, and a lower back thing there and a this and a that. I mean, Jack, Jack was much worse. Jack had a real, he had a, a, a major problem with his back. Right. You didn't um, mention that. <laughs> no, no, he had, uh, he, but no, it was to do with the pole arm. He had some sort of disc thing, you know. I remember it was, you know, he had, he had a big big issue with his back but yeah. i mean it's it definitely it it has and it did um affect me forevermore and in fact the next job that i was offered which was a film a tv series after superman that was going to was being shooting in the greek isles or something i remember it was so exciting so glamorous um we decided that i just wasn't physically was not up to being away on a yacht for sort of the next three months filming because of because of all these problems yeah. lots and lots and lots of things you yeah. know but again you 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 it's much better everything's much better protected now i mean everything's sort of oh, you yeah. know but i mean back then you did you know they took I mean, one of the one of the one of the things that happened was when we came back to reshoot. As you know, we reshot some of Superman two, and then yep. we continued with Richard Lester. Um, the uh, the harness that I wore, I couldn't understand why it wasn't fitting me as well. I'd been off for a few months, um, and then had to come back to, to start again. My God, that was a great gig, wasn't it? <laughs> pay or play, I got paid. I just thought this is the way life is. You know, you get paid not to go to work. It's not like this is fair-loving nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, was serious, it was serious money to stay home. But anyway, I went back and my, my harness didn't fit. And um, they kept putting it on and it was too loose. And I thought, I haven't lost that much weight. And they would bring me back down off the wilds and, you know, get my get out of my costume and back to my harness and they'd tighten it and they'd tighten it and tighten it. And finally, I, they tightened it so much that when I went up on the wires and they, they pulled me back up, um, I then had to go into my flying position, um, which, you know, so it's all my own body doing it. And I went into the flying position and I... Um, it was the, the harness was too tight, and I'm not sure if I fainted or what happened on the wires. But I went over, I sort of collapsed on the wires, and ripped my stomach muscles because I just oh, went wow. over, you know. And then it transpired that the gentleman that had designed the harnesses, I have to be careful what I say legally <laughs> here because I don't. Well, only because these are all these are all hearsay stories. But my yeah. understanding is the gentleman who designed the harnesses the first time round had not perhaps been fully uh, paid or something, and he'd withheld the harnesses. So, so when we came back to Superman um, to, to reshoot, we didn't have our own harnesses. 
So I'd been put in some one of the guys, one of the harnesses. So they they just kept tightening it, tightening it, tightening it to make it to make it hold. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, you you can't do that. These things are designed to, to exactly for your body, so that they're perfectly balanced, and you're perfectly balanced because it's only you. It's you and two hooks on each hip. So that in itself, you know, there was another thing. So the damn thing was put on so tightly um, that it sort of cut my circulation off, basically, and I fainted. Wow. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, over and over again, things happening, lots of things happening, lots of, you know, lots of horrible things happening, really. Um, but then lots of glorious things happening. And, 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 and as I'm sure Jack will tell you, it went on for a very long time. So we do have a bit of a blur of, of memory, um, <laughs> the flying, because it just was endless, you know, yeah. just endless. But it, it it was glorious. I mean, I know obviously you you've you've been injured and 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 you know things have changed over the years to make it safer. But I suppose what a price to pay. I mean, what a great film it's gone on to be. Uh, you know this iconic um, you, you know mm. piece, and it, it it paved the way for many many films to come. You know all the superhero movies. Um, I mean, it's sad to say, two years uh, today, uh, two years ago, we lost Margot, uh, and it, it was heartbreaking. And I've I've met her a few times, and uh, I plan to meet her again uh, when she was at a convention but but she didn't make it to the convention because my daughter um i named my daughter lois after oh how lovely i know we actually met you a couple of years back um my wife was very heavily pregnant and she was in a wheelchair because she couldn't walk oh yeah and it was the one that you was there with terence and jack that's right and, and jack couldn't make yeah. it over yeah. Jack had a heart. Jack was in hospital having a heart attack, yeah. and and Margot missed the plane. Basically, I, I mean, what a bunch we are! I know. Oh and, my goodness! And uh, I'm now proud to say I've got a little two-year-old called Cara. How lovely! Congratulations! That was your first child. Uh, so my first was Lois. She's six now, and I've oh, got. Okay, that's it. That's it. And then you've had another. How lovely! I know, and I got away with calling yeah. her Cara after. Supergirl, oh, <laughs> which oh, is great, wonderful. and uh, I've got to say, um, I was quite scared to meet you. To be fair, because growing up, I've got to say, uh, you know, Ursa to me was a bit scary. Uh, so you've done a very good job. You know, she was meant to be scary, and obviously, Non uh, was this lovable sort of, you know, mute that yes. you just wanted to be yes, friends yes. with. But I've got to say, you're so so warm to meet. You're great with the fans. You've got a massive fan base, uh, you know, oh, all o- you. all over the world. Uh, it was Terence's Terence's first ever Comic Con in London. Did you give him any any advice before the con? <laughs> yeah, well, he. I I have to say, um, I knew that ultimately, you know, he always said he wouldn't do, and I, I have a terrific respect for Terence. I. I, I on top of the fact that I'm totally in love with him and was as a young girl. Uh, I mean, again, uh, Brando, yes, Hackman, yes, but to be working with Terence Stamp was, to me, was uh, just uh, an absolute joy. Every day it was an absolute joy, and and and, and it, it, it remains so. But I knew that he would... <coughs> I knew that he would find it quite difficult, um, just because he's a very private man. And yeah. It, it's... I, I mean, I'm, 
I love them and I'm used to them and, and, and I enjoy them. And I do think, and I really think this, that the people and the actors, and I know quite a few of them that are just rude and belligerent and don't really want to do it and are just taking the money yeah. should just be, I, 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 I detest that. I come from the school where we, you know, I remember... I'm sorry, I'll get back to Terence Sam in a minute, but yeah, I have so. to tell you, my very first con was, oh, 1970-something. Uh-uh, um, it was just after Superman came out, and I was invited to go, and it was somewhere in, I, I want to say in North Carolina or somewhere like that, South Carolina, and I was offered, they said they would fly me in, and I would go to this convention, and I thought, how exciting. I'm going to get an airline ticket to go to America. And they'll fly me in, and, and I'd do it, and then I was going to fly back again. And I was just, and, you know, the, the whole idea of America was always so exciting, and I was delighted to, to, to get the opportunity. Um, and I think I, 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 I used my time. I went there, and then I think I went to New York, and that was the whole point of the story. But I arrived to this convention, and I had never, I had no idea. And back then... You didn't get paid anything. You made no money whatsoever. You didn't sell your autograph. I didn't, you know, I don't know. Somebody, I suppose, sold it, but I didn't. And so I was flown in, and for the three days, I think I arrived on the Thursday with jet lag, I was taken to some hotel, which now I realize they always pick places that are in the middle of nowhere on a freeway so that, you know, the fans basically can can get there, but they can't go anywhere else. And I spent three days. I never stopped for one minute. And it was endless, 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 endless photographs, opportunities. I had to do the lunches and the breakfasts and the... I've got very wise to this, Brian. Now I don't do anything and I'm very fussy. But back then, you did everything. And then there were hundreds of girls dressed as me and a few boys as well. I'd never seen anything like it. It was just extraordinary. And like I said, there was no money involved. There was nothing involved. It was the true true fan-based thing. I went, and I still have a couple of friends on, on my Facebook, my, uh, my, my official Facebook page, a couple of long-time friends from, I met back then that we've kept in contact with. Um, he, he, they came from far afield. I guess somebody somewhere was making some money. I don't know who it was. But we did it for just to be there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how it was. And then, and then slowly but surely they... they I mean, I did that one, and then I think, you know, I don't know that there was anything else. It certainly weren't happening in England. And then <clears throat> I went to, um, I was asked to go to Stony Brook in, uh, 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 in New York State, uh, New York, and, and I, again, um, in those days, and by then I was living in, I moved to Hollywood in about 1982, so I was flown in from, from L.A., and um, I, I remember those days you got a fee, and it was wonderful because you got a small fee for a weekend, and you went in, and for that fee, you... Um, you signed autographs, and you didn't provide your photographs. The it was the way that the 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 the, the guys on the you know, what do they call the all the little shops and stalls people on the floor were, were selling your they would sell pictures of you. Right. That um, the the fan would then buy that picture, and then he would come to you, and you would sign it for free. So we, as actors, were all quite happy because we didn't, we weren't having to make any money. We'd already got a fee for being there. But what was happening is these terrible pictures would turn up that some some guy, you know, from from Illinois or somewhere had his 
second cousin twice removed had worked as a photographer's assistant and he'd picked up these pictures that were left on the floor, you know, of Sarah Douglas sort of pulling her hair out or something. And so he'd collected them and then he was selling them. And so pictures were turning up and you think, oh my God, but the poor fan had spent, you know, 10 bucks or something and bought yeah. this picture. So, you know, the best you could do was to sign it for her. Anyway, um, Nichelle Nichols, um, oh, do you know? Do you know Trek. what? She's absolutely lovely. I spent a day shoe shopping with her. Um, oh, so she's a delight. And and she's absolutely lovely, lovely lady. She was absolutely. We had the best time there. The best time. And she. This was back then. And she arrived, and she had a stack of eight by ten photographs of herself. Yeah. In costume on the set from Star Trek, looking magnificent, and she sat down with this pile. And um, you know what was it? We're talking about a, you know a few bucks. It was nothing. You know, was it five dollars? And she said, "I'm going to sell them." Well, we were all horrified. The other actors said, "You can't sell them." And she said, "Yes, I can." <laughs> she said, "This is what they want, and these are cheaper than they're going to say. You know, they're going to spend their money on these awful pictures that we don't even know where they've come from, which is true." And of course, she was the first person I'd ever seen do that and of course the fans were thrilled because they got the picture they wanted yeah. she was delighted because she made a few more and that was the beginning that's how it all first started but it was truly sort of fan based things and now in fact funnily enough Nichelle Nichols I was there in uh, where was I Australia a couple of years ago with was I New Zealand I can't it was all a blur now um, but, but again you know I saw her again and um, it's got so enormous now and these uh, these actors are demanding these ridiculous sums of oh, money yeah. for, to, to be there and the photographs you know i i am truly embarrassed when i see some of these actors who've got who've got a career that will be over in a spit selling their photographs for they're not selling enough because parents have you know there is there are limited funds and the funds will go on that one expensive photograph that one of their kids wants, you know, whoever it is in Star Wars or whatever the show is, um, and or, or Doctor Who. So there's no money left to go and spend elsewhere. So, you you know, everybody's sort of suffering. And these conventions, I swear, were, are going to end up shrinking down back to the to the old style, to the way it's, I'm hoping, to the way it used to be. I mean, I'd love to get 50 bucks a picture, but it's just it's just not right. And people are asking 500 but I mean, it's ridiculous. Don't get me going. I was just about to say, you know, there are stars out there that charge God knows how much, and then they'll charge you more for doing a dedication on that no, I autograph. Know. Which... I know, I know somebody in particular... In particular, that I won't even mention his <laughs> name, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely, it, I, I am, I'm really mortified by it, and uh, it's, it's, it's become such a, it's become such a business, you know, it's yeah. just not. It's it's not you know I, I'm I'm uncomfortable about it. Um, but I talk, certainly think. But talking about done. talking about conventions though, uh, there is a, a a great one coming up, which is a virtual comic con, which I think is a, such a fantastic idea. It really <laughs> is. We are all stuck in isolation. We should be following government guidelines here in the UK and to our listeners in the states. Um, but Cool Waters Productions which an amazing company, Derek, is absolutely lovely. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've come up with an idea uh, of in-house con, um, and we've got a treat for all the, you know, the Superman fans. So on the 30th of May, um, 
What's happening, Sarah? Can you explain to the listeners? No, I can't explain. <laughs> I'm so, I'm too old to explain. Okay. And I'm so glad. I've been so busy talking and rabbiting on and I had completely forgotten that I wanted to tell you about that, but you already know about it. Because it is, I mean, Derek, I just when they contacted me, I said, well, this is so clever. It's so clever. It means that everybody can, can, can get involved. Um, it's something, is it that Zoom thing again? That yes. thingy? I, all I know, Brian, is that it's the middle of the night for me. It feels like it's the middle of the night because it starts at whatever time it starts, two, well, two o'clock or twelve o'clock or something. I've got to look very carefully because I know that you have an opportunity to, 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 to meet us separately or all together. Um, there have been other events. There's a Star Wars one coming up that I'm yep. certainly going to go and join in a couple of weeks' time. I'm going to be there. Um, but it's it's two o'clock in America. Right. So in Los Angeles. So I've got a feeling that that's quite... That's, I've got a feeling that that's, that's minus seven okay. hours to us. So yeah, minus seven or minus eight. So it's about ten o'clock at night. Nine o'clock, ten o'clock. I think they're going a little bit earlier for me because I've told them I'll be Good. asleep. And <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I really was. This was a problem for me because not. Big, I don't. I don't mind staying up a bit, but it's. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit late. However, for the fans, of course, who are up all through the night um, doing these things, they won't mind. It's a wonderful way to, to meet and greet over, because of course, of course our, all, all of our conventions have been, I mean, I was looking forward to doing one in Smallville this summer. Uh, everything's been cancelled and postponed. Of course it has, and quite understandably. Um, yeah. So this is very, very clever. And I confess, um, I... I haven't looked in on it yet. I've heard, <laughs> well, because I've put, last Saturday night I, I fell asleep and I was supposed to do it. I fell asleep. I had a couple of glasses of wine and that was me done. Um, and I woke up and I went, no, because I'd promised. So I, yeah. I, I'm dying to go. And I, I certainly, I might try this Saturday, but I know that I'm definitely going to go on to this, the Star Wars one, which is the weekend after. Um, but it's, yes, I'm going to be with, I'm going to be with, um, with, with Jack and, uh, Jeff and Alan, we're, we're going to get together online, yeah. um, and I, I'm. I, they've asked me if there's anything special I can show. <laughs> I said, "What? <laughs> Let me see. Let me think about that, Brian." Yes, you've got to be careful. I've, yeah, no, don't worry. Um, but but I'm I'm I think it's a great idea. I, I they've been having. I know I've been reading all the reviews and reports back, and everybody's been having a blast. And oh, how clever! How clever are they? Um, yeah. Because it is really. You know, you talk about the Superman fans and everything else. I mean, what an incredible fan base. And there they are, loyal as hell. And how brilliant to be able to have yeah. generations, generations come. Because yeah. I, you know, I, I, I get mostly get the daddies who have, or the older daddies, and then you get the younger daddies, and then I'm getting the kids. So they, <laughs> they all have, they all have the memories. Yeah. And we won't even go there, but my goodness me. I mean, the, <laughs> the Comic Con is fantastic. I mean, for as little as, I think it's $65, and they get an 8 by 10 signed by yourself, and they get yep, one absolutely. on one time. I mean, yeah. for sixty-five dollars, that is a bargain, um, and they do an Absolutely. ultimate pass and a VIP pass. And the great news is, for our listeners, we've been given a lovely secret code. Which what I'm going to do, I'm going to put on the information for this episode. And with that secret code, you go to the web address, which is www.inhouse-con.com. 
enter in that code and you can get the VIP pass and the Platinum pass at a special price which is fantastic. So it's even more savings there um, to speak to you, Jeff, uh, Aaron, and uh, Jack. I mean... I mean oh, I that mean, is, listen, I'll pay to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay to speak to Jack. and I, that's, I mean, I'm happy for that. No, it's a great opportunity. And where are you going to get that? Nobody's going to be rushing through, pushing you through in the lines because, you know, that thing with Terry, there were so many people didn't manage to get to... See Terry and I in the oh, end, and it was Terry. There yeah. were just people had bought had bought special tickets and special everything, and there were just too many. So this, I am sure, um, it's guaranteed you're there, and um, I'm I'm very excited, and I've been contacted by a lot of people who who have um, who, who who are on my fan page, which is lovely to say that they're going to be there too. So I'm excited. Just put out. I have a a, a, a Facebook page for for anybody that that might join, and I really do. Uh, it's been it's been run by by Eli, who who's brilliant at making out that I'm terribly busy because he puts all sorts of wonderful things on there. But <laughs> you know, I do try. I I read all the messages, and I've just said recently, and we can't stress enough that I don't want anybody to 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 be lonely or or, or isolated or 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 have any any worries at all that they can't feel that they can share with us or share with me because we do try um, we try to be there for all of the fans because they've been there for me. And so, you know, I do stress that, that in these times, if there is, if you are having problems or you're feeling very, very low or isolated, send us a little message, you know. Oh. I will always send a message back and, and do whatever I can to, to, to cheer things up. Um, because we are all in it together. We really are all in it together. We definitely are. We definitely are. And who knows, before you know it, you'll be able to see your mum again, give her a big squeeze. Oh, I know. Um, she's, she's 98. She's in 99. It's breaking my heart. Such a I good just, age. <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic age. And I, I, I think you know. And I also think we need our, we need our Superman, don't we? Now yes, we need definitely. that to put the world, to put the world to right. I think that would be a perfect, perfect exactly. um, answer. So. Yes, yes, Sarah. Thank you so much for letting me into interview you. It's been a great honour. Um, I wish my you, pleasure. I wish you all the best and stay safe and healthy. And I look forward to everything that you do in the future. And um, I'm looking forward to the virtual Comic Con. I cannot I wait. I am looking forward to meeting you and your lovely wife and your two children. Uh, and maybe who knows? Well, let's. Well, who knows how many there'll be? But we, no, no, I, no I can only have two now. Okay, fine. So no more. But congratulations on that. And I'm Thank delighted. You. I can, that's fabulous that I met you, and I'm so glad I agreed to do this podcast because most of the time I say no. Oh, bless you. I feel. No, I feel I, even I, luckier. Well, no, because there's all sorts of people coming out from under underneath all sorts of strange rocks and say, I've got a podcast here. And, and, you know, I do want to be supportive, but I did yeah. look and you've done some lovely podcasts and some yeah. great ones I've been listening to. So thank you for inviting me along. It's a pleasure. And it's my aim at the moment is to give 
a bit of joy out there because I think that everyone is so bombarded with all the the the, the, the drab news. There's no, nothing happy out there. So no. it's about giving a, a a bit back. You know, I work Absolutely. on I work on the front line. My wife does as well. Um, so you know, we're busy at work all the time, and I'm doing this in my spare time. The kids are down downstairs currently being very quiet. So I might have to treat them. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! But Sarah, how wonderful. thank you so much. Uh, for thank being on the show and, thank, and look and after thank yourself. Thank your wife for sparing you for a whole hour. <laughs> I will do. I will tell Shell. She uh, she is a star. She's a perfect wife. Well, you're a lucky, <laughs> lucky man. I'm thank glad, you. and she's a lucky lady too. Oh, bless and you. I look forward to to meeting you properly next yes, time. Yes. All right. Definitely. We'll be ha- we'll, we might even be able to hug. Who knows? Hey, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Who All right, knows? Sarah. We'll take a rain check on that for yes, the moment, though. Definitely. All right, my dear. Take care. All Lovely right. talking to you. You and too, And thank love. you, thank you, and hopefully um, I'll see lots of people at the at the uh, at the in-house con. Yes. 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 Fingers crossed. I'm sure it's going to be an absolute crossed. hit. I, oh God, I do hope I get it right. Oh dear. <laughs> All right. And on Bless that you. note. All right. Now. Thank take you very care. much. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.